0: Greetings and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. We're in a series on the book of Philippians. Today's part three, and today we're going to look again at chapter two of Philippians and the implications of the Incarnation. So you can put that on the, on the overhead. the implications of the Incarnation. So Philippians 2, verses 3 uh, to 11. And Paul writes this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, treat that value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of, of, of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that, you, that Messiah Yeshua had. Who, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Yeshua is the Messiah, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, if the Bible were a mountain range, this passage would be one of the highest peaks. This passage is the ultimate revelation uh, because we have here one of the most complete pictures uh, of who Yeshua is and what he did. We're told here, we'll put this on the overhead. We're told here uh, he is God. Uh, he's also man. Uh, he was incarnated as a human being. He became a servant, went to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has never exalted him to the highest place. Uh, and that one day, every, everyone will bow, knee will bow before him, and confess that he is Lord. So, we're told here all about who Yeshua is and what he's done. But in addition, this text not only tells us about him, about him, but it also tells us about his mind. So look at Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, have the same attitude as Yeshua the Messiah. But literally it says, have the same mind in you as was in Messiah Yeshua. So this passage is not only about the fact that Yeshua is God, and that he became human, uh, that he became a servant. Uh, he emptied himself, made himself nothing, But it also tells us what Yeshua thought about these things. It gives us his inmost motives, uh, the the revelation of his inmost thoughts. It tells us why he did the things he did. uh, And when Yeshua pulls back the curtain, uh, if if you will, of his inner mind, uh, he does this in order to transform your mind, to, to melt your heart, to change your life. Note that verse 5 doesn't merely say, here's the mind of Messiah, but it says, let this mind be in you. Let it be in you also. God's willing to share his inmost thoughts with you in in order to change you and to conform you into his image. He does it in order to change the way you see everything and the way you think about everything and act toward the world. So let's look at four main truths in this passage that it tells us here about Yeshua. Put this on the overhead. So this passage we see, number one, Yeshua is God. Number two, he became human. Number three, he became a servant, even to death on a cross. And then number four, how does this now change our mind about the way in which we think and believe and act and interact with others? So number one, this passage clearly and emphatically proclaims the full deity of Yeshua as the uncreated part of the Godhead and equal with the Father. In fact, there's probably no passage in the whole Bible that more powerfully and dramatically and intensely proclaims the deity of Messiah as being one with the Father. To put it plainly as possible, this passage boldly declares that Yeshua is God in the flesh, and I'm stressing this point because it is a salvation issue. Yeshua says himself in John 8, 24, he says, I said, therefore, to you, that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Other translations say, unless you believe that I am who I am, you shall die in your sins. But either way, Yeshua is identifying himself with yud Vavhe. Uh, and and the Lord's statement of self-identification back in Exodus 3.14 in the burning bush. And Yeshua says, unless you confess this, you shall die in your sins. So yes, this is a salvation issue. Now, our passage in Philippians 2 proclaims the deity of Messiah in at least four different ways. First, look at Philippians 2.6. Describes Messiah Yeshua as, quote, being in the very nature God. The Greek word here is morphe. The text says Yeshua was in the very morphe of God. Now, In English, we have related words like, like metamorphosis, uh, morphology, or my favorite, the mighty Morphin power rangers. <laughs> and in English, it's usually translated by the word form. But there's a problem with that translation because the English word form has to do with outside appearances. But that's not what this Greek word means. We have another Greek word for that. It's the word schema. Schema means the outward fashion or appearance. That's not the Greek word used here in Philippians 2. The word used is morphe, and on the overhead, uh, it means the essence of something. Uh, it means the qualities which make something what it is. So translating this verse as a sure being in the very nature of God is a far more accurate translation uh, than, than some Bibles which say he's, just, he's, he's in the form of God. So this word morphe is perhaps the strongest statement you could make about the deity of Yeshua. Uh, It's even stronger than if Paul had just said, Yeshua is God. Because that phrase could actually mean a lot of things. Uh, New ager Shirley McLean says that about herself. And she says that about you too. So there's a lot of things you could read into that statement uh, in the overhead. But this is much different. Paul's saying that Yeshua has the unique and identical qualities that make God, God. Yeshua is the very substance of God. Yeshua has the very characteristics of God, the very being of God. So this is an incredibly strong statement in Philippians 2.6. The Yeshua is in the very nature God. Now that's not enough. A second way this passage shows us the magnitude of this claim is the second half of this verse. Who, Who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word grasp, harapogmos uh, in Greek, it means something to be kept, something to be held onto. So it doesn't say that Yeshua considered equality with God something to go after. Rather, by grasp, it means held onto. This verse means Yeshua was equal with God the Father, but he, but he decided not to hold on to it. So this is saying in the strongest way possible, Yeshua wasn't just some demigod. It's not as if the Father gave some of his substance to a string of of lesser deities. But rather, this is saying that Yeshua is as much God as God the Father. He is equal with the Father. Uh, He's the same substance and being. Now, one of the ways, uh, this gets to the third way, which shows us uh, the strength of this passage of the deity of Messiah. One of the ways the liberal critics today try to get out from under this Uh, under the the, the weight of this uh, this claim that Yeshua is not just a prophet not just a great teacher not just the founder of a religion but God himself is that they say well that's probably not how messianic faith really started probably in the beginning Yeshua was a a teacher of peace and love Uh, and his followers understood that too but as time went on as the stories about Yeshua became more and more distant geographically from Israel as the stories got more and more generationally distant uh, from the first century as the years went by the theory is that, that, that they started to embellish these stories and then the legends grew And more and more people began to, began to talk about Yeshua as if he were divine and eventually the Yeshua followers began to believe that he was God but this happened they say over a very long long period of time they say the original Yeshua originally Yeshua didn't claim to be God ever His original followers never believed he was God. All this developed much later. And as I said, this leads to the third way in which this passage speaks to the deity of Yeshua. uh, And therefore, what's wrong with this theory? Because scholars now pretty uniformly believe this passage here in Philippians 2, verse 6 to 11, was not written by Paul, but that Paul is quoting it. This passage is written in the form of a poem or a confession or a hymn its lexical links, uh, its parallelisms, its rhythm. It is the features of ancient poetry. So someone had written this previously, uh, and it was a hymn or confession widely used in the early first century Messianic Jewish congregations, and Paul is now quoting it. And because it was already so popular and so widespread, Paul knew his hearers who would know about this, who would know what it was, and would recognize it. So here's the point. Paul wrote his letters about 20 to 30 years after the death and resurrection of Yeshua. And, he, and here he's quoting a pre-existing hymn or confession of the deity of Messiah. that Yeshua followers used. Uh, this means that in the very earliest days of the first Messianic Jewish congregations in the book of Acts, the original Messianic believers not only worship Yeshua as God, but also declare that Yeshua was aware of his deity and taught his deity. Now, if Yeshua had never claimed to be God, all the hearers of this hymn would have, would have complained and objected. But there's no record ever of any complaint or objection. Uh, uh, just the opposite. Uh, within just a few years of his death, congregations over, all, over all, the old, all the known Roman world were proclaiming his deity and singing this hymn. And if Yeshua had never claimed this, the whole movement would have never gotten off the ground. It would have been easily refuted. So this proves Yeshua indeed did make these claims to his deity and that his followers from the very earliest times embraced it. And now, now think about this. Of all the people on the face of the earth, the last group of people uh, whose worldview would allow them to believe uh, that, that, that the, the transcendent creator, the universe, could take on the form of a man were our Jewish people. The Greeks, the Romans, people in the East, they had different views of God or the gods as being part of nature. So they could understand this idea of God taking on the form of a man, but not our Jewish people. Now, this concept of the deity of Messiah, was yes, it was clearly in the Hebrew Scriptures, if you had eyes to see, uh, such as, for example, in the concept of the angel of the Lord, but the Jewish leadership in Yeshua's day focused solely on the Lord being the transcendent creator of the universe, infinitely transcendent above and separate from his creation. Uh, so, so we were the last people on the face of the earth to believe uh, that a man could be God, or more accurately, that, that God could take on the form of a man. But the fact that Yeshua made these claims time and again, And the tens of thousands of of Jews in the first century believed on him and worshipped him and declared him to be divine and equal with the Father. This speaks volumes to the strength and the demonstration of his claims. People saw the quality of his life. They saw his sinless perfection. Uh, His amazing teachings. He taught as no man taught. Uh, His ability to know your inmost thoughts and to read your mind. His fulfillment of, 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 of hundreds of biblical prophecies. His countless supernatural miracles done openly and publicly, his authority over nature and, uh, and over demonic powers, and most of all, his, res- his resurrection from the dead, uh, which vindicated his claims. So that's the third clear uh, uh, claim in this passage to Yeshua's divinity, the early acknowledgement of his followers, right from the start of his deity, as shown by Paul quoting this hymn or this confession that was already well established by the time Paul wrote Philippians just 30 years after the death of Yeshua. And then fourth, this passage ends in verses 10 to 11, saying this on the overhead. Philippians 2, verse 10. At the name of Yeshua, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Yeshua is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, first of all, um, it's calling Yeshua uh, uh, Lord, Kyrios in the Greek, which is the same word used for vav Vavhe in the Septuagint, which is the rabbinically approved Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. Secondly, it doesn't say Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God, because Yeshua is God, and that would be confusing. So, so to clarify, it says to the glory of God the Father. And to distinguish that both the Son and the Father are, are distinct parts of the one Godhead. But most of all, these verses are actually quoting or paraphrasing from the Tanakh, from the Hebrew Scriptures, from Isaiah 45. So look at Isaiah 45, 22 and 23. It says this. The Lord says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I've sworn by myself. The word's gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and won't turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. In this passage, the Lord God, Yudhe Says that to me every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But in Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quotes this verse, but then applies it to Yeshua. Thus, clearly equating Yeshua with Yod without Vav He, without with the Lord God. So, this passage in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11, is teaching us at least these four ways that Yeshua claimed to be God and substantiated his claims. And that his earliest followers, the first century Messianic Jews, uh, proclaimed him and worshipped him as God. Proclaimed him as equal to the Father. Proclaimed him not as a created being, but as the uncreated creator. As yud Vavhe vav himself in the flesh. Now remember, this whole passage is about transforming us. Look at Philippians 2 verse 5 again. It says, any relationships with one another you should have the same attitude of mind as the Messiah Yeshua had. So we need to ask ourselves, how should this great truth about the deity of Messiah affect my mind? You need to let your mind be impacted by these truths. Well, what are some of the ways we can do this? Well, first, if Yeshua is God, a lot of you need to start uh, getting a lot more optimistic about your own future. If Yeshua has come into your life and if he says, I love you, I will never leave you or forsake you, if he's totally committed to you, then why are you so pessimistic about overcoming this, your sins uh, or, or beating this addiction or having victory and joy in your life? Are you sure he loves you with an everlasting love? Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says in Matthew 28, 20, And surely uh, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Yeshua gives you all these amazing promises. But but who is he who's saying this? Is he just some well-meaning person? No, this is the Lord himself giving you these promises. This is the one who, who comes into your life. In Romans 8, Paul says, I'm not afraid of anything. Why? He says in Romans eight eleven. Because of the Spirit of Him who raised the sure from the dead is living in you. He who raised Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, because of His Spirit who now lives in you. Paul says the Spirit of Messiah uh, within you brings about your adoption to sonship, where God is now your Father. Where we cry out to Him, Abba, Father. We're made heirs, uh, heirs with God and co-heirs with Messiah. Then Paul assures us in Romans 8, 28, that we know in all things God works for good. For those who love him have been called according to his purpose. And then in verse 31, Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in Romans 8, 38, finally, Paul says, for I'm convinced, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, now, the height nor depth or anything else in all creation, we're able to separate us from the love of God that's in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. Amen. Now, if you're not as unsinkable as Paul, if you're not as buoyant as Paul, if you look at yourself and say, I'll never change, I'll never have the joy of the Lord, and that you say you've received Yeshua as your Lord and submit to him as your Savior. If he's God and you're not unsinkable and buoyant like Paul here in Romans 8 then you're not fully applying this truth of who Yeshua is to your life. You're not fully appreciating in your mind who it is who now lives within you. That's why it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's one, uh, one application of this truth. Secondly, if Yeshua is God, it also means that the only possible way to respond to him is extremely. If you read the Bible, you'll see that no one who's ever met Yeshua ever had a moderate reaction to him there's really only three reactions to yeshua in the bible put this on the overhead number one they, they either hated him wanted to kill him number two they were afraid of him tried to run away or number three they were absolutely smitten by him and gave their whole lives to him but no one ever had a merely moderate reaction to yeshua now the average person today in america likes yeshua but well, you can't like Yeshua. <laughs> Don't you see? If he claimed to be God, which he did, uh, then if he's not God, then he's some kind of crazy megalomaniac and you should not respect him at all. But if he is God, then everything in your life needs to revolve around him. Don't you see this? There, there is no middle option, there's no, other, there's no other option. How can you just like Yeshua? He did not leave you this non-committal, milk-toast option. No one has ever liked Yeshua who knew who he was and knew who he claimed to be. Do you see this? If Yeshua is God, number one, it's great news, for if God is for you, who can be against you? Number two, it's sobering news, because you've got to choose whether to surrender to him or not. You cannot really like him. And then number three, if Yeshua is God, it's motivating news because this gives you a whole new dynamic for loving people. This passage is teaching us about the triunity of God. One God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what I want to emphasize right now is not the technical theology, but the implications of this truth, for how you relate to one another and for how God relates to us. You see, if God were only unipersonal, only one person in the Godhead, and therefore Yeshua was not God, just some kind of created being, you would have a defective view of God. Because by by definition, you would have a God who never loved anyone until he created the world, created men, created angels. Because love implies a relationship. There must be an object of your love. But without another person, there can be no love. So in this unipersonal view, That God existed from all eternity as a solitary being. Uh, This kind of good God, he can be all-powerful and sovereign. Uh, He can be a God of wrath and judgment, uh, like the lonely desert God of Islam. Uh, But the essence of this kind of God cannot be love. The biblical statement that God is love cannot be true if God is unipersonal or unitarian. Because he had no one to love. No one to be in a relationship with. Until he decided to create other beings. And therefore, not only do you have an imperfect God, but you have a God who created in order to meet a love need. He created in order to have love. On the overhead, thankfully, that's not true of the God of the Bible. For the God of the Bible, the triune God, love and relationship are eternally inherent within him. He always had love and relationship, beginninglessly. Father from all eternity was always loving the Son, who who was loving the Spirit, who was loving the Father, in an an endless circle of infinite love being poured out and received and the overhead. And so when God created the world and created us, he created not to get love, but to give love. He created out of the overflow and the abundance of his infinite love, for God is love. He created us. He created not to use us to meet his needs, but to bless us with the richness and the spillover of the love he had for all eternity expressed within the Godhead. Now, do you know what this means? God created us not to use us, not to get love, not to meet his needs, but to give, to give love. Likewise, Yeshua came to earth to, to serve us, Not to meet his needs for love, but to give us love. Likewise, we are to relate to others with a view towards loving and serving them. You know, it's very tempting to relate to others primarily to meet your own needs, rather than to meet theirs. You get involved, you serve, you listen, you counsel, you minister, you help, you love, you say you do, but in reality, you're using them. Not really loving them, if you're primarily going out, consciously or not, to meet your own needs more than to meet theirs. Now, of course, there's going to be a mixture, uh, but when you're meeting your own needs more than you're meeting theirs, there's an imbalance, and you are not acting on a biblical love. You don't have the same mind as Messiah. Here's some of the ways you can tell Do you find that those people who, whom you're trying to love and minister to, uh, what if they don't respond? What if they're not grateful? Do you continually get hurt feelings? Do you often feel snubbed? Do you need to control the people you're with in order to get them to do and to act the way, the way you want them to? If so, you've moved out into their lives more to meet your own needs than to meet theirs. And it'll bring dysfunction into the relationship. And In the end, you'll both feel empty uh, and blame each other. So what can you do? Had the same mind in you as it was in Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua was eternally part of the Godhead before moving out and coming to earth in the incarnation. in an analogous way, you need to be firmly established in the Lord before moving out into the world. You need to know in your deepest heart of hearts that the Lord loves you and accepts you in Messiah, and there is now no condemnation for those that are in Yeshua. This must be firmly established in your soul before you can effectively minister to others. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself going out not to give love, but subconsciously to get it on the overhead. So in this passage, we see, number one, Yeshua is God. And that should change and transform your mind. Now, number two, Yeshua is also man. He became the God-man. He's not just divine, he is also human. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7, we read, Messiah Yeshua, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of a man. Now this word in verse 7, taking on the nature of a servant, is another form of the same same word morphe. Yeshua took on a human nature. But note that in verse 6, Yeshua being in the very nature of God, in the overhead here, it's what we call the imperfect tense, meaning that it's ongoing and continuous he never stopped being God. Uh, in the incarnation, he continued to be God. So the text does not say, having, uh, having been God, uh, he now instead became a human. No, on the overhead. It says, being God, he also became a human, but he continued to be God. Uh, but now he, he became human as well. He became the God-man. He became both, on the overhead, he became both at once. He had two natures, both human and divine. Now, A lot of theologies and religions and philosophies believe that matter and the physical are evil. Uh, uh, So these schools, they could understand the possibility that Yeshua was God, but now instead became a human. Yeah, he stopped being God in order to become human. But one thing they couldn't stomach was this idea of God continuing to be God and becoming human at the same time. But the scriptures are clear that Yeshua was both fully God and fully man. And here are two practical impacts this should have on, on, on your mind. First, our God is the only God among all the world religions to whom matter matters. You know, in the West, the Greco-Roman Roman religions, they thought that matter was impure, uh, was polluted, and so God could, could never become human. In the East, the Eastern religions, they didn't see matter as impure, but they, they saw matter as being unimportant or, or even an illusion. So they can say, yeah, of course, the idea of God becoming a man is fine, at least temporarily. I mean, it's all an illusion anyways. But neither the Greco-Roman pagan religions in the West, nor the Eastern religions like Buddhism uh, and, and Hinduism in the East, uh, nor of course, Islam or rabbinic Judaism, none of these would ever say what Yeshua faith, what Messianic Judaism says that God inhabited a body permanently. God took into himself the physical. It says in Colossians 2 verse 9, In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. No other religion has ever had the audacity to say that. And that changes everything for us. You know why? Why? Messianic faith, Yeshua faith, is the only religion that acknowledges and understands that God does not think of the spiritual as more important than the physical, or the physical as more important than the spiritual. And that changes the way we deal with things. Look at the Bible itself. The first picture you have of God in the Bible is God with his hands in the mud, creating the world. God is not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's involved with matter. And the last picture you have of God in the Bible is God uh, cleaning up the natural universe uh, of the toxic waste uh, of evil and sin and rehabbing, if you will, a beautiful new urban home for himself where the new Jerusalem descends to the earth. And the overhead, and the very middle, the very center of the Bible, you have the two main redemption events of all mankind. And they're both about the physical you have the incarnation, the birth of Messiah, and the death and resurrection of Messiah. At the incarnation, God took on the physical and became a man. And at the resurrection, God redeemed the physical body. God created both body and soul. And in Yeshua, he, you know, he, he redeems both the soul and the body. And this means they're both important to him. Sin drives body and soul apart. Yeshua came to restore the original creation, and once again, that body and soul live together in integrity. Now, what does this mean? It means, first of all, that in the gospel, you can keep these two together, but that outside of the gospel, you cannot. Outside of true Yeshua faith, you you can be religious or you can be irreligious. You can be religious and try to earn your salvation by being a good person, or you can be irreligious and say, I'm going to live my own life the way I want to live it, Uh, regardless of of what God or the Bible may say. If you're religious, the physical makes you uncomfortable. You'll feel like, I need to get away from all that. I I need to be spiritual. Uh, So helping the physical needs of people become secondary at best because only the spiritual is important. On the other hand, irreligious people, they worship the physical because that's all they have. So for example, if your body says, have sex outside of marriage, You do it. Why? Because for them, all there is is the physical. All there is to life is having a nice body and physical comforts uh, and pleasures. Apart from the gospel, you cannot keep body and soul together. Either the physical will become your idol, uh, and it will absolutely drive you uh, and enslave you in a thousand and one ways. Or on the the other extreme, uh, you'll be afraid of the physical and you'll consider it unimportant. Unimportant. Only in Yeshua can we simultaneously emphasize both the salvation of the soul and the cleaning up of this physical world and eliminating hunger and disease and violence and poverty and injustice and oppression. Indeed, that's what Yeshua is all about. He came up to offer salvation, make it possible through his death and resurrection, but he also came to heal the sick. Uh, and cleanse the leper and give sight to the blind and feed the hungry and make the lame walk. He came to bring body and soul back together in integrity. And as a believer, that's your future too. One day you will have a spiritual body, a resurrection body, uh, where body and soul will be brought back together in integrity, in unity. You're not going to be a ghost. You're not going to be a disembodied intelligence. no. In your resurrection body, you're going to eat and drink. You're going to hug and be hugged. You're not just going to have a Vulcan mind meld. You will sing in the new heavens and earth. There'll be music. You'll actually be able to sing in tune. There'll be food and drink in heaven. A wedding banquet with Yeshua. There'll be bodies in heaven. There's going to be the physical. But it's going to be spiritual at the same time. Body and soul will dwell together in unity, in integrity. Only Yeshua followers have this biblical balance where we're not just concerned with, with helping the poor, uh, we're also concerned with saving their soul. It's both. Without the gospel, things break apart. You'll only be concerned with one or the other. But, but not Yeshua followers who understand the gospel. We need to apply the implications of this truth to our lives, that being God, He also became human. And because he's human, Yeshua understands you. Because he's human, he knows what you are going through. Uh, He's your great high priest. You can go to him. Have you been betrayed? So has he. Have you been lonely? He's been lonely. Are you suffering poverty? He had no place to lay his head. Are you facing death? He faced death and then died for you. He had a prayer turned down in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has faced every trial and tribulation and temptation and paved the way for you to lead a victorious life in him. He knows what you're going through. He can relate and empathize and minister to where you're at. He knows all your trials and struggles and troubles. Go to him. He's the wonderful counselor. Take your burdens off of yourself and put them on him. At the same mind as Messiah Yeshua. Philippians 2, 5. Let the same mind be in you, as is in Messiah Yeshua. So on the overhead, number one, Yeshua is God. Number two, he's man. Number three, he became a servant. He did not come as a powerful human being. He didn't come as a king or a general. Look at Philippians 2, verse 7. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Now, I want you to see how utterly different this is from our career. From our history. On the overhead. Though we're not equal with God. We counted equality with God something to be grasped after. Totally, totally the opposite of Yeshua. Though he was equal. He let go of his equality with God. He became a servant. He took a lowly, humble position. Though we're not equal with God, we do grasp after equality with God. So, for example, anytime you say to yourself, Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but, but I need to do what makes me happy, you're grasping after equality with God. Yeshua did the opposite He did not hold on to his equality, He made himself nothing and took the role of a servant. In contrast, we want to desperately be something, uh, to be somebody, to be kings. But because Yeshua humbled himself, Philippians 2.9 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, giving him the name above every name. Here's the irony. We try desperately to be someone. We try desperately to be our own God and our own king and our own Lord. And therefore God lets us fall to the bottom. Uh, and we don't even know who we are. Yeshua found his name by losing it. Yeshua rose by going down. Yeshua got his identity through service. He became somebody by serving something bigger than himself. He came and lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. He showed us what it means to be a human being. Now finally, number four, what does that mean for us? It means the way you become saved is you've got to go down. If you say, I'm trying hard to be a good person, Uh, I go to shul or I watch it online at least, Uh, I read the Bible, I pray, I help others, I'm good to my parents, I love my mom, Uh, I'm hoping God will accept me. That's trying to go up. You're saying, I have a righteousness of my own. You've got to say, I have no righteousness of my own. That's to humble yourself and to go down. The only way up is for you to admit I have broken God's law, Uh, my heart is not right with the Lord I deserve to be lost I repent I I turn now to Yeshua I give up trying to remain in control of my life Lord save me for Yeshua's sake I make you Yeshua my Lord my Savior and the minute you do that the minute you go down in humility and repentance and cry out to Yeshua the Bible says he accepts you he gives you his name he accepts you and brings you into his family you get the name that's above every name. If you try to go up and remain in control and run your own life on your own, you actually end up losing your identity. But if you go down, you discover your true identity. It's a child of God. And you get the name above every name. And then finally we're told here, Yeshua made himself nothing. Literally it says he emptied himself. But then how do you do all these miracles if he emptied himself, all these great deeds he did them by the power of the Spirit. Look at Acts 10.38. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. and He did great deeds because God was with him. Yeshua shows you what you can do. Because if you're in Messiah Yeshua, you have that very same Holy Spirit living in you. In fact, Yeshua says this in John 14.12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And, and even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So, my holy brothers and sisters, be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Bear the fruits of the Spirit. Give up your small ambitions for the Lord. By giving up his power and glory, sure gain infinite power and glory for God's kingdom. In the same way, when you become a servant, you are given incredible spiritual power. Uh, when you live and walk in the Spirit as a servant, self-sacrificially laying down your life, and serving others, then there's nothing you can't do for God's kingdom. Yeshua is God. Let that change your mind. Yeshua is human. Let that change your mind. He became a servant. Let that change your mind. Amen. Let's stand and pray. I'll leave the music team to come on up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this great revelation of the full deity and humanity of Yeshua. I and mean, you know this isn't just some some dry theology, but this is a salvation issue, and there's great practical implications. We thank you, Yeshua, that as God, you have the power to change our life and give us victory over sin and addiction and temptation. Your Spirit dwelling within us has the power to cause us to to live holy, set apart, pure lives as we walk with you, and because you're God. Yeshua, we can't merely just like you. or uh, uh, We must give, give our whole life to you. Uh, it'll be totally yours. And because you are love, existing in, in a love relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity, we too are called to love one another with the very same self-sacrificial, other-oriented, servant love. Thank you, Yeshua, that because you also became a man, you can relate to us, you can empathize with us. You are a great high priest, you would for us. And if you are for us, Yeshua, who can be against us? Yeshua, though you're Lord, you nevertheless humbled yourself. You became a servant for us. Lord, today, help us likewise to humble ourselves. Take the lowly place. Take the needs of others above ourselves. For in your kingdom, Lord, the way up is down. So, Lord, fill us now with your spirit, the spirit of the living God so that we may live the life you call us to live and do the works you call us to do. We pray this all in your holy name. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat shalom.